MC Podcast. There's no easy answer, so I don't pretend to you in a, a 28 and a half minute presentation, we're going to solve this. But I think it's critical for us to ask and answer some of these questions. <clears throat> so New Hope Church, from the beginning, started with a vision of five and five. As I would travel around and meet with pastors and anyone who would meet with me honestly uh, and share some of the vision, I would often get this. And it was this face like, oh, man, you just, we're proud of you. But it was like, we're proud of you, but uh, a mentor of mine actually said, you know, I don't, I don't see how that's going to happen. And I said, you know, you're right. You might plant 10 churches in five years. Yeah. Motive matters, though, right? And I am competitive. But uh, we've said often that four years, if we didn't have the right people and processes in place, we're not launching the fifth campus because you, you don't want to do something that's not healthy. And yet there's always the tension. So 10 months, 10 months into the life of New Hope, we launched our second campus. And you might be thinking, oh, you were a mega church. <laughs> uh, no, we had 200 people. But we had clarity of vision, we had the resources, and we had an opportunity. And so we actually started our second campus in a coffee shop of all places. And it wasn't just a coffee shop, it's a, an ale house and a wine bistro. And I'm only a coffee drinker. But where do people in our community go every day? There. We, we were looking for the next place to launch. We had, had it in our heart. And all of the places that I had imagined we would plant launched the second campus, the doors never opened. And one day I was having a meeting at this coffee shop and was visited with the, the uh, barista behind the counter. You come to discover her brother was a friend of mine who was a pastor. <clears throat> and it's interesting how proximity allows for moments of vision casting, of connection. And as I'm sharing this story, the gal behind the counter says, do you know that me and the other manager have been praying that God would use this space to propel the church? <laughs> and you already know I'm a crier. I've modeled that several times today. And so I'm standing at the coffee shop counter with my four shots of espresso with two pumps of white milk and a splash of cream, trying not, trying not to cry. Because God had already positioned her and her co-manager in this role before we even knew this would be a space for us. So I, I want to uh, just, if nothing else, say um, the pressure's taken off us because God's already working. 
Our job is simply to say, okay, Lord, what are we doing next? What are we doing now so we can do what's next? Uh, New Hope started with um, our first public thing, just a little bit of the story, uh, with 12 lawn chairs in a park. And then you're like, that's a lot of lawn chairs. It's not a lot for a church, but if, if you knew that they all were lawn chairs from my house, you're like, why do you have that many lawn chairs? It's a fair question. It's because we had been in youth ministry before that, and we would do discipleship groups. And so we, we brought every lawn chair we had, and we set them out in the park. And here's the thing about vision. Vision always outpaces and precedes provision. And I'm at the park and I'm praying, God, that like, I already knew my mom and dad were going to be there. Okay, so there's two. And I knew my wife would be there. I wasn't sure if either of our boys would show up because we moved them. And I would say it was the absolute worst time in the life of a kid to move them. It was before Justice's junior year and before Josiah's freshman year. And there was enormous ripple effects to that. And all of them, God was not surprised by. But the, the 1,200 people that today call New Hope home didn't start with the current 1,200 people. It started with 12. And sometimes we think, well, if I can get to there or this, I don't mean there, meaning what we're doing. If I can just get to, and we have this preferred or this prescribed number or season or setting, if we can just get to here, then we're going to really be ready. And I just, I want to just maybe, um, I want to propose some stuff to you today. Uh, and here, here's what I want you to hear. If we wait for total clarity, we'll be paralyzed by potential problems and the certainty of uncertainty. One thing you can be certain of, there's going to be some uncertainty in the, in the days ahead. And we can be paralyzed. And you know, we see some patterns, and I know we're men and women of the word. Don't we see some patterns in scripture that fear paralyzes faith? And pe people who live in fear never enter the promised land. There's a whole generation that was afraid. Twelve went in, twelve spies, ten, ten came back, and you know what? They were right. There were giants in the land. It was going to be impossible. <laughs> and I'm just telling you, whatever dream God puts in your heart, the, the vision will always outpace and precede the provision. But God's like, hey, nothing's impossible for me. The ten were right, but so were the two. Surely we can take the land. Now, we've already practiced this. How many of you uh, in here remember being asked on a, on a date? Ladies, let me see your hands. You remember when your, your husband had the courage to step out and say, I'm going to go for it. They saw you across the room. Might have been the cafeteria, I don't know. And they approached you with, here's what they approached you with. Even the most confident approached with fear and trembling. Amen. <laughs> We've already understood, if we wait for total clarity, we'll be paralyzed by potential problems. Well, what's she going to say? What if her parents don't like me? What if I don't have enough money? What if, isn't it true, like, you're never ready to afford kids. And if you wait until you're able to afford kids, you're like, ah, that never happened. Mark Batterson, a, a friend and mentor of mine, says, ready, aim, or ready, fire, aim, to a culture that says, ready, aim, fire. Now, 
the, the super organizer, they would go, oh, I get you just had a small stroke when you read that quote. Okay, or when I, there it is. But it just speaks to this. Do you, do you really think the disciples were ready when Jesus sent them out? We don't, but Jesus did. And he knew that if you go before them, there'll be some people of peace that you connect with. You know, the neighborhood that I've mentioned that we live in, um, before we lived there, nine months before we lived there, God had strategically positioned Philip and Kara Flateau in that neighborhood. Philip is an Air Force special ops doctor and is an incredible man of God. We read through N.T. Wright together, and if I was picking teams, he would be on it. His wife has a, a master's in organizational leadership, and when he was deployed on these middle of the night, he's heading somewhere in the world, his wife would get up in the morning and push her kids in the stroller. Praying for the vacant lots that would become homes. They prayed for our house before it was built. They prayed for our neighborhood before it was full. And God strategically positioned Philip and Kara. And if I said, well, I need to wait until everything lines up, until I have all of the clarity that I need, I would have actually not been able to answer their prayer, God, bring a church into our community. Throughout the scriptures, what we see is that though God says, does say stay, most often he's a go-God. Go to places I'll show you. Abraham. Moses. So now go. I'm sending you, Moses said to God. The, the end of this statement, I think some of us today need to hear. I feel just uh, impressed to, to linger there for a moment. Who am I that the Lord should send me? Who am I that the Lord should use me as a settler to send someone out as a pioneer? And God says, I will be with you. And I, I just hope that we find great comfort and peace and courage in that. God to Joshua, he says, hey, guess what? Get ready to go. <clears throat> Be strong and create. Now, if I said, if, if today's talk was about stay, I could find lots of verses that says, God, you know, stay put, plant yourself. So I'm not saying that we don't have to stay, but God's like, I, I do want you to go. I want you to be arrows out. I want you to be others-minded. Get ready, he says. Be strong and courageous because you're going to lead the people to inherit the land. And then, you know, my favorite person ever, Jesus. Go. And it's interesting that he says, go into all the world. And I love that we have some missionaries here, and I love the people, young, and when I say young and old, old's relative, right? It's interesting, I was riding with Josiah the other day, and we were having a great conversation, and he's like, Dad, let's just listen to some oldies. I'm like, yeah, and I'm thinking doo-wop, 50s, maybe some 40s. He's like, there's this song from 83, and I'm like, <laughs> hold over, to get out of the car. I didn't but old is relative, right? We, we have... We have this idea um, that God doesn't use old people the way, you know, he uses young people. You know who God uses? People. But I love that we have these missionary couples and, and missionaries who are here that they're going into all the world. It's not, it's across the street and around the world that God's called us to. So sometimes it takes faith to stay, but most often it takes faith to step out. 
Faith is required to actually step out. What did, what did Peter need when Jesus is strolling across the, the waves after feeding 5,000? And Jesus uh, is, I don't even think Jesus was going to stop. They saw him. Ah, they freak out. It's a ghost. And Jesus is like, don't be afraid. And then Peter, well, there's 11 guys in the boat saying, don't do it. Jesus is saying, come on out. Faith is required to actually step out into the unknown. And you know what we are? We're people of faith. We are people of faith. Anchored in the, in the greatest news ever, the gospel. We read in Hebrews, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he what, rewards those who earnestly, diligently, purposely seek him. I think when we think about faith, sometimes we want everything to line up before we actually step out. And that's actually not what faith is. It doesn't mean, and I hope you hear my heart in this, it doesn't mean you don't have systems and processes and frameworks. God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of order. And he says, go. And he says, make disciples. Vision and faith are deeply intertwined. And occasionally we can be really strong in faith and miss vision. And we can be really strong in vision and not operate in faith. But I would say this, you can't separate the two. Faith ignites vision. And vision fuels faith. They cheer each other on. It's, it's this right here. I can't clap with one hand. And to be people of faith, there's got to be a, a vision. And what's so beautiful about um, not being in charge of everything, because God is, is we say, like, what have you said? And that's why we just keep coming back to, to the scriptures. We keep coming back to the, the anchor of God's word. And he says, I, I want you to go and make disciples. And we've all been the beneficiaries of that. And it's exciting for us to consider what it would look like for us in this um, next season to get clarity of what our role in that is as well. The thing about vision is, as you know, it leaks. And sometimes it leaks like we intentionally communicate it, we cast it, we create space, we, we gather people, we put it in writing, we put it on a screen, we, we, we paint a picture of a preferred future, we tell stories. But also sometimes it leaks because it, it feels heavy. Sometimes the, the, the vision that God's given us seems so much bigger and um, honestly it seems impossible. And that's where God and the supernatural collide with the natural. We're inviting Him to join us in what we've, what we've joined Him in doing. <clears throat> One thing a leader has to do this is true for every one of us, is we have to hold tightly to vision. Because if we don't, there'll be people and even internal um, voices in our hearts and minds that say, well, I don't think that's really possible. Uh, I don't think this is probably the right time. And timing is critical. And that's where sensitivity to the voice of the Spirit and the leading of the Spirit. What does Paul write? He says, stay in step with the Spirit. Right? That we, We're not talking outside of that. But sometimes the Spirit will invite us to go to places that uh, are places of discomfort for us so that other people can have comfort. 
Vision has to be clear to we, not just me. And we think about uh, articulating vision. Isn't it true you think about what you're teaching about, the stories you're telling, the, the language you're using, way more than everyone else? So occasionally I, I'm surprised at myself when I'm surprised and others didn't catch it. And I'm like, well, yeah, because you've been thinking about it and studying and preparing, and it's been in your spirit. You're like, wake up thinking about it. They like just sometimes show up at church. And they weren't thinking about it. They're just thinking like, how can I pay my bills? How do my kids make it? What, what does it look like for us to, to like have a healthier, even a, a better marriage? Like, you know, a, a sick family member. Maybe it's a season of life that now we're providing care for our parents who used to care for us. People are wondering like, what? How can I be a part of the mission? They're like, is there an oxygen mask anywhere? And this is why vision is so critical that we, we keep coming back to it. We've got to hold tightly to it. Proverbs, it's not new to any of us, but where there's no prophetic vision, where, where you can't see, and that's the, that's the clarity of vision. You can see and be blind, right? Because you don't have vision. But where there's, there's no clarity, there's no vision, people run wild. People cast off restraint. I would say this. Clarity comes out of vision. And vision also fosters clarity for others. Clear to we, not just me. Remember the first time I um, had met with our leadership team when we were about to launch our third campus. It was a, about 30 minutes from our hub campus. And we had been meeting with the um, Scott and Angela and their team. There's about 25 people on their team. And because they had been in the community building relationships, there was an on-ramp that made it easy for people to connect. And I remember initially in the meeting say, uh, using some language, and <laughs> here was the faces of everyone who hadn't been on the team very long. They're like, and it was just that reminder of, oh, this is really clear to me, but it's not clear to me, right? So if someone is um, lost and they call you, what's the first question you're going to ask them, the lost person? Where are you? And probably, if not the second question, maybe the third question is, um, where do you want to go or where are you going? And this is where as leaders and as pastors and as people shaping spiritual formation of others, we have to very much have clarity of where we're desiring to take people, of where people are wanting to go. And then when we think about multiplication, we have to have clarity of what that could look like. Understanding that we have to also embrace, embrace uncertainty with a measure of certainty. Self-assessment is one of the great joys of a maturing person. But I also would propose that in order for assessment to be effective, we've got to have other voices who are trusted, that are slightly outside their inner world, but they're outside, who can come back and have courageous conversations, faith-filled conversations. I met with a mentor recently. His name is Les. And um, Les has been one of the leading voices of my life for 25 years now. Uh, he's a mentor. He's a friend. He's old enough to be my dad. And he's one of those guys that every time we meet, I'm reminded, Jeffrey, you're valuable. I'm quoting him, not speaking third person. He says, now Jeffrey, I love you and I believe in you. I'm just, 
I'm reminded of the power of other people seeing something in us that we might not see in ourselves. Or reminding us of what we've stepped out into. And when they speak life, and this is Proverbs 18, 21, the, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. I mentioned that one mentor who is a great friend and they, they are a fantastic leader in our nation. Um, but when I share with him, hey, our vision is this, he's like, <laughs> he actually chuckled. And here's what I felt like God said to me. Your vision will make you cry and it'll make other people laugh. Because it seems audacious and outlandish. Kind of like Jesus' words, hey, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Do you think the disciples were like, I mean, like, all nations? And then he clarifies, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. One thing a leader has to have. Now, I also know we could be sitting here today and say, actually, um, I want that, but I'm not sure even necessarily in this season what that is. And this is where it's just beautiful to begin to ask some questions and invite people to be voices in our lives. Why is this important? Because leadership's not about where uh, we've been. It's about where we're going, not where we've been. And sometimes the, where we have greatest clarity is, is where we've been. And this is the, the, the joy, actually, of, of being a part of an organization like this. And, and that there's um, freedom to dream. There's freedom to try. There's freedom to step out. There's some um, incubator. There's some greenhouse and I wonder if this is already being played out already in, in uh, individuals' lives in our local context. Isn't it true? Like, um, is there one way for pers a person to be discipled? No, of course not. But is there the central figure of discipleship, Jesus? Of course. So we, we have great clarity in this, but how we get to that will, will vary depending upon the person, the season, the time, the proximity, all of these factors. But what comes um, to a central point is who and what. And the who is the message of Jesus Christ. The what is going to vary. A couple of questions for us um, to process. But before I do that, I want to share one thing that's not on the slides. Um, our growth, your growth and my growth, is directly dependent on the amount of pain we're willing to endure. That's what one of my mentors, Dr. Ken Engels, says to me occasionally. Hey, don't, don't forget this. Your growth is directly dependent upon how much pain you're willing to endure. I remember walking into our, our um, youngest son's room one night, and he's 6'4 now. I'm actually the little guy at our house now. Um, and I walk into his room, and he's kind of crying. I'm like, Josiah, what's wrong? He's like, oh, my legs hurt. Oh, pray that it will stop. I said, you know what, I can't pray that it will stop because what will happen if your legs um, don't hurt, it means you're not growing. I knew what he didn't, and that, that was he was having growth pains. And isn't it true sometimes we want to avoid the pain, but we don't get the, the benefit on the other side of it? That's what James says when he says, consider it pure joy when you face uh, pain, trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith actually develops what? Perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you can become mature and complete, not lacking anything. So growth and pain, they go hand in hand. Our ability to grow is directly dependent upon the amount of pain we're willing to endure. 
And that might mean sometimes as the leaders of leaders, the leaders of, of um, churches and organizations, we have to ask really tough questions that might feel more painful in the moment, but they produce something great on the other side of it. So here, here's some questions, or I, I put them as action items. But the first one is, what step of faith is Jesus inviting? Notice I put you, and I, I could say me in here as well. But what, what step of faith is he inviting you to take in order for your vision to become a reality. Oftentimes a leader thinks, if I could just get so-and-so, and, and this is where comparison is a curse in, in our lives. Two things happen. You've heard it, the extremes, right? Either I'm insecure or I'm prideful. And comparison doesn't help us, but um, coaching and um, inspire, inspiration from others is incredibly valuable. What step of faith was Jesus asking me to take. And you know, we can't decide for other people. Sometimes what happens in, in a ministry context is um, we look at what we have compared to what someone else has, and we start to say things like this, well, yeah, if I had their building, if I had their people, do you know how much money they have? And here's the thing, you know what you have? What you have. <laughs> and it's probably actually Exactly what God put in your hands. And he, the question is not how much, it's how you leverage it. I'm not just talking money, I'm just talking opportunity, voice, platform. Like, <clears throat> and what an incredible invitation by Jesus. Here is a second. Can you articulate your vision in one sentence? Because if it's clear to me but not we, then it's not clear. New Hope exists to present hope and develop people. It's actually just four words. Present hope, develop people. Like, I know, but what about, there's no what abouts. Everything else cascades out of that. Now, when I say who cares, I don't mean it in, in a derogatory way. But in reality, it's, I mean, who cares how I've articulated it? The question is, is there a clarity of what God has asked you to do, and how are you communicating it? What's your vision in, in one sentence? Here's why this is important. We live in a hurried culture. We live in a fast-paced chaos culture. And the gospel cannot be confusing. And I don't think it is. I mean, Jesus is like, um, you're lost. I'm going to rescue you. Right? I mean, this, he came to seek and save the That's what he, he said that my mission, my assignment is to do the will of the Father. I've come for the, the, the sick, not the healthy. He, he was always just so simple. I was lost and I'm found. Our vision has got to be so clear to me that it's easy for it to be clear for, for others, for we. So this next, this next one is also pregnant with possibility because it, this is a reminder we don't have to go alone and that we're actually better together. That's what Ecclesiastes is for, right? Two are better than one. How did Jesus send people out? All by themselves. Go get them, tiger. No, two by two. He knew the power of partnership. So who's walking with, praying for, and asking for updates? I'll say it this way. Who's in your corner giving some direction? Because when you're in the fight, it's easy to not see because you're in the middle of the battle. Like a fish in the water, you miss it because you live there. 
So who's just, like they're on your team, but they don't, they're not at your team, right? They're just slightly outside, and so they're just giving some insight and some um, affirmation, maybe even some coaching and at times correction. Who, who's asking the tough questions? And this requires us, and this is, we, we talk at New Hope about being appropriately vulnerable. In a culture that will just throw up on Facebook, that's inappropriate vulnerability, right? And I mean, it may not even be vulnerability. But what does it look like for us to, to um, trust people enough to let them in? Because they can't speak to real heart issues and even systemic issues and, and, and vision moments unless they have some clarity of what God has, has shared with us and invited us into. Who's walking with and praying for? And then we, we just keep coming back to this as a church. What questions have we not asked them we need to? Because we don't think we have anything figured out except Jesus is Lord. And then we're going to give our lives for the gospel. The, the, the temptation and the tendency of an established and leading organization is to stop asking questions. I had the privilege of serving, and I mean that word so intentionally, serving at, at, in a, a leadership capacity in our, in our network. I've served on many occasions together in that same way. And unfortunately, when you're in charge, notice the air quotes, which I don't like, but when you're in charge, people always ask you questions. For 16 years, we were at one of the largest churches in our network. So uh, even when I was a youth pastor on the teaching team, when you come in, you kind of come in as like the expert, right? And what happens is, is slowly but surely over time, is you, you come in and you stop asking questions, you come in as the answer person. I think that's just a really dangerous way to live. It's a danger, it's a, it, it, it makes us susceptible to all sorts of different things. And what we remind our team is we continue to multiply and, and, and people will look to us. And when I say people, I mean like 10 people, right? Like, but whoever does, they, they look to us for some insights and some clarity. And we just have to take the, the, the um, approach and the perspective of a, a servant who is humble. Because what does Jesus say? What, what is the, throughout the entire Bible? Um, if you're humble, God will actually elevate you. I think humility sometimes just takes the form of asking questions instead of assuming that we have answers. And I know that that is one of the things that's actually marking this, the movement you're a part of, is asking, well, what's next? And so it's a privilege for me to, to get, a, get to be a part of that and to listen and learn. Driving in yesterday from the airport, I was inspired by what God's doing amongst you. I was, I was, uh, my faith was stirred. And so I just want to say thank you. Podcast.